Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE master technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. You found the Bystander Podcast. Welcome, Podcastville. Today, we have the Bainbridge Island Land Trust on the show. Jane Stone, Executive Director. Hello, Jane. Hello. How are you this morning? Very well. Ray Victorine, Board President. Ray, what's cracking? How you doing, Tim? Good to be here. Good to have you. Thank you both for taking the time. I know we've tried to schedule this numerous times. Um, Let's start off. Explain what a land trust is. All right, I'll I'll take that one. So a land trust, and uh, in our case, we're a nonprofit, 
And a land trust mission is to, and our specific mission is to preserve and steward the, in the case of Bainbridge Island, the natural landscape for the benefit of all. And land trusts, uh, it's really been a movement that's been in existence for over 100 years. And it's a way for communities, organizations to, uh, I think, be creative in how we preserve lands and take care of lands. Uh, we have a lot of different tools in our, in our conservation tool chest that allows us to do that land preservation work. And one of the great tools that, that I personally, that really turned me on to the land trust was the conservation easement, which is a private landowner making the decision to preserve their property and they place this legal instrument that sort of overlays their property. They still own it. They still manage it. It's still their property, but they have made some decisions to preserve certain parts of the property, limit certain activities. Perhaps they've said, I don't want to be able to develop this anymore. And that uh, legal instrument lays over the land forever. So if they sell the property, if it uh, is transferred to their children, those conservation benefits stay forever. And the land trust holding that conservation easement has the uh, the duty and the responsibility to see that those terms of the easement are met. And uh, so we regularly um, monitor those properties at least once a year. We're usually on properties more than once to be sure that the terms of the conservation easement are, are met. And then as you, I think, um, are aware and many in the community are aware, we also have the tool of acquiring property and either holding that ourselves or um, working with one of our great partners in the community, the Park District, turning the property over to parks for ownership and management, usually with a conservation easement uh, overlying that publicly owned property. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about relationships that you guys have with parks, department, city, landowners. But since you started with easements here, let's, let's start with easements and the relationship with property owners. When you obtain an easement, like let's say the, the front of the property line near your mailbox, does that easement give right for development for of sidewalks and bike lanes as well? Or is that just an ecosystem easement that needs to be um, and remain unharmed for um, the ecosystem? Well, that's one of the great things about a conservation easement is it's flexible. And often many of our conservation easements, they might have different zones. Often there um, is a zone that allows for uh, a fair intensity of use, say a residential area. Um, sometimes the easement might not even include someone's residential zone. It would only be on, say, the back part of the property, which is forested or has a, a particularly sensitive stream. Uh, so easements are very flexible. They can accommodate um, a lot of different wishes of landowners. And um, you know, so long as there is conservation value, it's something that the land trust and the land donors work together to essentially negotiate the terms that that make sense uh, from a long-term management and maintenance standpoint and for our ability to monitor it into the future. Uh, so, um, so to answer your question, um, certainly um, if, if it fronts on the road and there's always the ability for um, infrastructure to be uh, installed if, that is, uh, if that's part of the terms of the easement. Does every house come with a registered easement for like the city, like border lines and sidewalks and stuff like that? 
or is an easement something that you just solely sign up for in, for land trust types of situations, or does every piece of property have, you know, okay, I got a four foot easement from my road included uh, on my good, property. You know, you're bringing up a really good point is there's a real, dis, um, many of us who hear about an easement, we think about a road easement or a utility easement. And um, those are ubiquitous. Um, I think um, we think of all of our city roads. Um, They're all within city-owned rights of way. And so, yes, there's a – the road may be – 20 feet wide, but the right-of-way might be 30 feet wide, which then gives the city the uh, – allows them the ability to put in infrastructure within that zone. So that's a, that's a good example of an easement that allows someone to do something on what you might think is your property, but it is it is part of the road right-of-way or the road easement. Um, one might think of a conservation easement as maybe more often being mm, – uh, you know, and I hate to say what you can't do, but it puts restrictions on what you can do. It's more about it is more about a conservation easement is more about preservation and maybe reducing the numbers of things you can do on a property in the interest of preserving conservation values and and allowing for more habitat for wildlife, say, or more aquifer recharge or more stormwater um, and natural stormwater flows and things like that. And some of those, I mean, if I just jump in here a second, and some of those may have trails, have access for com, uh, for communities. Some landowners may not want that, so it really is a negotiated issue. Shoreline access, yeah, and the and the easements are in perpetuity, so they stay with the land. Uh, so once you agree to this as a landowner, then when you go to say you sell the land, that conservation continues with the land. So the new owners then take on the responsibility of, uh, of managing the land according to that kind of agreement. So it's grandfathered into the land that you purchase. That's right. Okay. Ray, the land trust here on the island has been around 29 years now. When did you get involved in it and what attracted you to the position that you hold now? Well, the land trust, uh, boy, when did I get involved? Well, I think my first in- involvement probably was, let's say, I moved on to the island in uh, 2000. And I think I started getting involved a bit with the land trust around 2001 or two uh, because I heard about um, what the land trust was doing and I've always been very interested. I only joined the board about four years ago. Um, but I got really excited about it partly because um, most of my work uh, is done internationally. So I do a lot of work in conservation in other countries. And um, I wanted to contribute something here where I live. And um, and there are many ways to do that. I've got involved in various different things. But the Land Trust was an organization I, I, I thought was well run, very uh, had a great mission in terms of trying to uh, promote conservation of lands here on the island. And um, it was... Um, is something I felt like I could really dedicate my time to and uh, and commit to. So I I was really excited when I was invited to join the board, and I thought, well, if I can contribute, I certainly would. And and I just took on uh, being president this year, and um, of course it's a it's a big year because first of all, next year we have our 30th anniversary, as you as you just pointed out, uh, we have 29 years now. And we've also just launched our one of our biggest initiatives, our huge campaign to raise um, $5 million to celebrate that anniversary and acquire some new lands and, and, and expand the conservation work that we're doing. So we're really excited about that. And it's something I can really get committed to and get excited about. 
So what are the other projects that you're working on? They're in the same type of fields, correct, relative um, to land trust, like um, conservation. Ah, what's the word? Conservation. There you go. <laughs> um, conservation. And what else? Well, I mean, per my job, I work for the Wildlife Conservation Society, which is a, 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 a international nonprofit, and we work in about 60 countries. So uh, um, that's part of what I do uh, in other countries in terms of land management and looking at conservation issues in other countries. And being part of the land trust here allows me to do that kind of work um, here on Bainbridge Island. Um, and, um, and that's a great opportunity. Not specific to Bainbridge, but how do you see the world water situation shaping up? Are we in dire straits right now, drinkable water, kind of broad sweep across the world? There are a lot of serious issues around water. Um, you know, the we're seeing shortages in a lot of countries now. A lot of the sources of water ha that people have relied on a lot of surface water so sources for a long time. Um, uh, glaciers, uh, which are now disappearing. So that's caused a lot of shortages around the world. Um, groundwater um, is getting harder to reach. Um, because of overpumping. So, um, and we look at drought, and we're seeing drought around the world. And so, uh, water is a key issue. It will continue to be a key issue and something that we're going to have to spend, I think, a lot of money trying to resolve. Yeah, and do it quick. I mean, we need to get <laughs> on right. it now. Yes. There's quite a few projects like that. Um, this is a very diverse topic, the land trust. It, it incorporates so many different aspects of the ecosystem, uh, finances, uh, relationships with parks department, developers, landowners. There's a lot to talk about. Jane, how do people get inspired to participate in stewardship in their local community? What, you know, he, he was saying that he moved here and immediately got involved. What are the things that people that you find that people get excited about and then start seeing the, the upping of the participation in volunteerism into the land trust. Well, Tim, um, you you hit it right when we first met, telling us that you spend a lot of time on the trails and, and walking um, on the trails of the island. And time and time again, when we talk to folks um, at the farmer's market, uh, we're about to hang out at Taste of Linwood, listening to people and why they moved to Bainbridge Island and why they or why they are visiting Bainbridge Island. And so much of it um, is around our natural areas, access to parks and trails, and you know the ability to get out uh, very easily and quickly, maybe just walking from your door and being minutes away from open space, um, natural areas where you, can, where you can get out and take a walk with your kids, with your dogs, um, alone. <laughs> and and enjoy that peace and quiet that nature provides. So time and time again, that's what we hear people tell us is a big factor of why they, you know, the island has so many wonderful attributes and uh, great schools, a great community, an active, um, really involved community. But the natural areas we have is a is a huge part of why people come to the island, and then they find uh, they find out about the land trust, and and so often they they sign up for our we have regular work parties to help us take, and you know it's not only about preserving the land, it's about taking care of the land we have preserved, and so that's a big thing, and and I think a wonderful thing that our 
organization and our board of directors some years ago made a made a pretty conscious effort to say, hey, we need to sort of up our game when it comes to helping take care of the lands that we've uh, either helped to preserve or the lands we have preserved and, and the land trust has determined they will continue to hold and um, ownership is uh, developing that pool of volunteers and um, and having the staff expertise to help guide those volunteers and help us take care of the land. And we do a lot of work with invasive species removals um, and um, trying to sort of beat back the uh, the inevitable on, onslaught of ivy and holly and laurel and all the things that scotch uh, broom scotch broom uh, and you know uh, scotch broom is, is I blame an, canada um <laughs> is an amazing example i don't um for many folks who have driven up and down the highway on the island for years um our very first conservation easement is at the corner of day road and highway 305 and for years it was just a of course you know it's kind of lovely in the spring in a way, the beautiful yellow flowers of the scotch broom, but it's a nasty invasive weed. And that property has been um, worked on extensively, um, both, uh, and it's and that property I think is now in its fourth landowner, and they have all been really engaged in helping steward the land, helping um, uh, work on the Scotch broom, and they've put a lot of their own time and energy and money into removal, but have also worked with us. We've had innumerable work parties out there, both volunteers, and we have a student conservation crew in the summer um, has been out there, and also work with uh, Kitsap County Noxious Weed Control Group to, uh, and it's pretty much, you can never say something's going to be Scotch broom free, because that seed stock lasts a long, long time. But um, it is in incredibly good shape, and it is, um, you know, it's really back to the natural um, meadow and viewscape that was intended in the original uh, conservation easement. How big is that property, and is that the trail and the meadow? That uh, is just the meadow. There's, um, and when you say trail, what isn't you there mean a trail that? that's uh, parallel to 305 on the same side of the road? N- not at this point in time, but I think um, ultimately planned as part of the Sound of the Olympic Trail system. Um, I, and I could, but there's no, um, there's no public trail on the property itself. This is again, this is a conservation easement on a private property. Now, within the within the highway right of way, um, more than likely there will be a trail uh, as, as a part of that future uh, trail system going north to south. Do you see do you, either one of you guys see 305 expanding width wise to a two lane highway or a three lane highway with one of those arrows that switch depending on what time? Of day it is. Well, your guess is as good as ours. Um, <laughs> that's been talked. I've lived on the island over thirty years, and that's been talked about um, forever since. Yeah, for a long time. Um, you know, it's uh, there are more people, uh, and as we all know, um, um, just as in housing, we we need to accommodate people traffic. Um, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Um, Work work Wednesdays is that what you guys got going on? We have first Wednesday, Wednesday work, party? work parties. At the first, first Wednesday. Wednesday of each month, we have a work party. Often it is on a private conservation easement land, and um, these properties are are generally not open to the public because they are private properties. And but it's a great opportunity to people get out on a property they might not otherwise see. And 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 as I said before, when we made a conscious decision some years ago to sort of up our game with regards to 
invasive species and stewardship of land, we said, you know, we really need to help help our landowners, those people that we have partnered with with these conservation easements. You know, uh, you know how it is. You own a piece of property. You're working. You've got things to do. Um, the last thing you need is one more thing on your list. But if we can bring volunteer help. And, and usually those landowners are out there with us pulling the weeds, but to just kind of help motivate them and help provide a little more, you know, a little more skin in the game to help them manage and steward their property. We found it to be a really great way to eh, mobilize the energy of volunteers. I mean, people have, and they, people have a really fun time. (laughs) How does someone get involved in volunteering for that work party on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of the month? Well, one thing, you go on the website, uh, the Bainbridge Island, uh, Island Land Trust website and, and sign up or contact the office. Uh, and a lot of most members do receive a notification about the uh, work parties. Oh, yeah. So, you got a newsletter. Right. right. Newsletter comes out and there's an email blast. So there's different ways to find the information. But also the Land Trust uh, website is a good place to go to find out about those, those uh, work parties. Historically, could either one of you uh, tell me about the founders of the Bainbridge Island Land Trust? Do you know, Jane? I'm not sure. That's that's a little bit before my time. Yeah, exactly. It was before my time, too. But um, I I love that. Well, I mentioned the the first conservation easement at the corner of um, Highway 305 and Day Road. And um, it's a great story in terms of the founding of the Land Trust. So, Way back when, more than, well, now probably a little more than 30 years ago, there was a permit uh, back when Bainbridge Island was part of Kitsap County and was not a city in of itself. There was a permit in for a golf driving range at that corner, which would have, I don't know, it was like 50 or 60 foot high nets and big lights. And um, there were a number of people that said, well, wait a minute, we're not sure we want that to be what people see when they drive down Highway 305. Um, And this is a beautiful pastoral landscape. Um, You know, that is one of the things when you look at the criteria for a conservation easement, a viewscape, um, public views is considered a conservation value. Um, And this was something that the founders of the Land Trust felt very, very strongly about. And so there were about, I think there were initially maybe four or five folks that got together and met around the kitchen table and started brainstorming, hey, what can we do? How can we? And they, they, the land trust movement was, was um, um, really just kind of taking root in the West. It had, it had its foundings in the, uh, more on the East Coast. And they kind of explored that and said, hey, here's a model that might work. And um, eventually that, uh, that permit, not, not because of the land trust getting in the way, but that permit was turned down by the county, for, I believe, for a number of reasons. But uh, that got them going and saying, hey, what can we do here? And they figured a way to purchase the property, put a conservation easement on it, and had several conservation buyers who um, um, you know, were interested in purchasing it, and it ended up being purchased then with that conservation easement in place. And now that property will be that beautiful pastoral landscape, um, as we say, quote, forever. <laughs> Is there ever a scenario where you are gifted land and then you, as as an organization, organization has not deemed it as the best echo friendly place for you to obtain and sold that to a developer to buy other property that is more uh, ecosystem diverse. Has that ever happened in the history of the 
land trust? You know, the and I I believe as a part of the founding of the land trust in that first transaction, I believe there was a piece, of, and this is, but it's very, very important when we chat with somebody about potentially making a contribution of land, that we are very um, open right up front about, one, do, would we hold that land for conservation purposes, or would we use that land as a wonderful gift, and as you said, sell it to then allow us to put that money to its best work for conservation. So actually, I believe, and and um, I'd probably want to fact check this um, because it was way before my time, but that um, we were, uh, a piece of property was donated to us very early um, that was then sold and the proceeds allowed us to um, uh, to work on that first conservation easement property. I, I could donate my cronk concrete jungle type house and you guys could sell that and then go purchase. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And wild... Exactly. Space. And there are a number of people who have already let us know that their um, their house, say their house on one acre, is um, they've left it to us in their will, which is an incredibly generous gift. And um, and generally, when, when folks let us know that they're wanting to make that kind of gift to the land trust as a bequest, we talk to them about, well, what, it, you know, what, are, what are your wishes and intentions? Mm -hmm. And we try to look very closely at that and say, you know, Boy, this is a great gift. It would be best, you know, the conservation world would be best served if we could, if you would give us the flexibility to resell that and then we would use that. And so um, very much those types of properties we would sell and then put that money to work for, um, for concert, you know, the highest, I guess, highest and best use of those conservation dollars. So I'd like to talk uh, before we get into relationships with uh, land trust, talk about Ecosystem, ecosystems, echo, eco, depends on if I'm bat relocating here. <laughs> um, can you can you talk a bit, little bit about the importance of shorelines, trails, um, ground cover, um, just letting you, you know taking care of the forest around the island here, and and what we have to do to create an ecosystem that is friendly f for both wildlife and humans. So the land trust has spent quite a bit of time um, coming up with a conservation plan, which tries to identify those areas, those ecosystems that are the most important uh, for us to protect. And those, there are different criteria. Obviously, one thing that's really important, of course, is water flow, uh, streams for, for salmon, um, you know, water recharge, which is uh, very, very important. And of course, shoreline uh, protection where that can happen. Um, ideally, we would it'd be nice to have shorelines that weren't barricaded, that didn't have barriers on them, so we'd have more flow. So there are areas that have been identified. And so what we try to do when we're, we're looking at uh, potential to acquire lands is how do those lands fit into that sort of broader mosaic of the kind of ecosystems that need to be protected that help with the the movement of wildlife that are that are resilient areas that will may help us if we as we deal with the, uh, climate change as we look forward uh, into the future. Uh, so we make those kinds of assessments so that um, the idea is that the more land that we have that can absorb you know water we maintain uh, control the runoff uh, on the island. Um, and, and improve water quality. So those kind of 
wetland areas that need protection and management. So we try to find those areas that are important for conservation, that that maintain the services that uh, the nature provides that, uh, that people rely on. And, and so that's part of our broad strategy, so that we, we maintain the integrity and resilience of ecosystems to the extent that we can. So you guys subscribe to global warming? Do we subscribe to global warming? I, I just say that we recognize it as a reality. Okay. Is there some science behind that, maybe? Um, no, I'm just joking with you. I know. Let's, let's break That's this. true. I mean, there, you know, let, let's just, there's no question that um, there's been a, a bit of a shift in our, our climate tendencies. And just that resilience is, is important that we recognize we need to be flexible and able to handle the changes. You know, change is inevitable, whether it's climate, whether it's population growth, um, changes in, you know, rainfall frequency or intensity. Um, you know, we've, we've just got to recognize we need to be as flexible as we can to, to accommodate those, uh, those changes to our, yeah. our landscape. And I think they're, it's really important as we, you know, around the world, I think we're, we're seeing, uh, uh, you know, speaking to some people in the insurance industry who are looking at natural disasters and who look at the importance of ecosystems in terms of uh, buffering some of the uh, intensity of storms or as, as rainfall events, as uh, Jane was, re- was mentioning. Those things are really, really important. Uh, sort of natural ecosystem protection, there's new insurance schemes that are coming out around the world to, to make sure that ecosystems are protected so that property can be protected, so that the cost to insurance companies is, is lower. So there are lots of movements that are uh, uh, ongoing right now in the world to sort of look at natural protection, not only for the values that you know we enjoy for hiking and, and, and beauty, but also for reducing the costs that we have to bear as humans to deal with natural disasters. So, we, you know, we have a hurricane uh, attacking the southeast of the United States right now, which is an example of those kinds of disasters. And we have people meeting in San Francisco right now, right now talking about climate and how to deal with global warming um, across the world. So um, I think there's, you know, and even though we're, we're quite small here on Bainbridge Island, we have our own climate plan and analysis, and um, we have a chance to, you know, to, we have to think about those, uh, those aspects also in terms of the kinds of decisions we make regarding development and, and how we le- manage the land that we have here on the island. There's a lot more talk this last year about a major earthquake around this area and the fault line on Bainbridge Island. What's your take on that? Well, there, my take is that uh, I sure hope if it hits, it's not uh, uh, horribly devastating. I mean, we're, I mean, we've been reading lots about the horrible uh, earthquake that's supposed to hit this area at some point. Does, is it going to happen five years from now? Is it going to happen 100 years from now? We don't know. But, um, um, you know, I think that's getting into disaster preparedness that we all should be thinking about as, as, uh, as residents here. Uh, but it, it falls a bit outside of what we can do as the land trust. Gotcha. <laughs> you can't stop mother nature. 
But, uh, I, but I think that, you know, Ray brings up a, a good point. Um, we'll just put that plug in is, you know, be, be prepared. Um, stuff happens and um, to, to have your emergency bit of water and food stashed somewhere is, is, a, is a good idea. So, Tim, I don't know if you know my, my prior career before being part of the land trust was as a geotechnical engineer. And so I did uh, talk to people a lot about seismic risk and landslide risk. And, um, yeah, and it's really it's not a matter if you look at the, the data, it's not a matter of if but when we will have a, another major earthquake. And, you know, we had a pretty good-sized earthquake back in 2001 with the Nisqually earthquake that uh, gave us all a pretty good shaking uh, on Bainbridge Island and, and kind of reminded us that we are in a seismically active region and we need to be, we need to be prepared. This isn't relative to land trust, but it's relative to land. Since you're in that field and you or were, what do you make of the um, Rolling Bay construction site where the landslide did occur, where they're digging it out now, and now someone's building a house there? Well, I don't, I don't know about the specifics of construction going on there right now. But um, they back who back in the mid '90s when those um, um, devastating landslides occurred and and resulted in the fatality of a much loved family on the island, um, the city Condemned put the brakes. Well, they yeah. put well, they, you know they red tagged that area and they, no one could move back or occupy those homes until safety measures were um, installed. And those safety measures were as and um, were two very substantial what they called soldier pile walls that provided support for the slope and protection for the homes below it. So um, so you believe that, it's safe that we can go back to doing construction there? Well, it, it, you know, safe is, we always, we look word, at, huh? it's a, well, it is a relative word and we, we design for factors of safety and um, yes, it's um, those areas with the, and I, I certainly haven't reviewed the technical details of it, but there's a standard of practice and those have been designed to deal with the anticipated um, slides and earth movement and impact forces from slides above. And that's, you know, we all, that's what building codes are about and um, all the engineering that goes into uh, hopefully making uh, the structures we live in or that we drive by or over or under are, um, are safe. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll put that in quotation marks because, you know, we design for earthquakes, um, but did we design for the biggest enough earthquake, you know, we, yeah. it's, it's, um, um, it's, and it's, a, we're always learn just as in any, any area, we're always learning more. I just bring that up because on first sight and first sniff, it doesn't, doesn't look right to me, but that's just my visual, um, opinion. Back to ecosystems with Ray here. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk some, uh, fish streams with me. How many do we have on the island and what type of fish are participating in those streams and the preservation of those streams? What does that look like for the future? Well, we just did a really interesting study of uh, what spring... Uh, spring Brook, Brook Creek. Brook, right? Spring, spring Brook, Brook Creek. Creek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and looking at the stream. So um, I don't, I can't answer I don't know the answer to how many streams we have on 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 Bainbridge. It, it depends depends how you count them. I think we have twelve watersheds, um, you know, on the island, and um, a lot of different named streams that that feed and and run in each of those watersheds. Can you, can you define a watershed for the people? That 
oh, geez, okay. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to quote the dictionary perfectly, but, um, you know. We don't fact check. Yeah, good. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, watershed is really sort of a geographic region where all streams sort of feed into, you know, maybe um, one, uh, ultimately one main trunk, if you will. And it's a, it's a defined, it's a defined uh, geographic region that, um, that contains topographically and the water all flows sort of centrally. It's sort of um, like a capture area. Yeah. Like Blakely so Harbor. The water falls down. Yeah, and it well, goes yeah around Blakely yeah. Harbor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one, and it, and it also, you know, how far do you zoom out and how far do you zoom in? You know, you can kind of keep cutting, cutting, cutting and, and having smaller and smaller, you know, sub watersheds, if you will. Um, one could say, well, Bainbridge Island is one big watershed. But then if you start zooming in, well, no, you know, Water flows into Blakely Harbor. Water flows into Eagle Harbor. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can slice and dice it. But you know, when you look at Bainbridge, there's t- I think 12 main you know sort of watersheds that are used by the city to um, you know to and, and the city's done a, as and as we have in conjunction with the city with the Springbrook Creek study, um, have done a fair amount of monitoring, water quality monitoring, flow monitoring in these streams to see how um, they're varying over time. And it's interesting to see how many streams have been – there was difficulty in terms of stream flow because of culverts that were put in that may be too small or um, uh, river uh, channels that have been changed. And so um, there's a significant amount of work that would need to take place to be able to improve some of that uh, stream flow so that we would have you know, as fish, as you say, some of the salmon going through, and uh, which could still run here on the island. Mm-hmm. So – um, but there's need some work to be done to to do some modifications. So um, how's the Sakai stream and that program with the school work with you guys? Do you guys co-opt that at all? I don't think we haven't really been um, directly involved in the Sakai stream work. But yeah, but yeah, it's a great it's a great program in terms of getting the kids out there to help with the monitoring. And a lot of community members are involved in a number of different streams going out uh, during the the spawning season to see, okay, how many fish are coming back and what kinds of fish are they? And um, so it's great to get both the kids and the community involved in those types of those types of studies. So when Trout Unlimited comes in stocks uh, like Battle Point park and stuff is that through the parks department or is that an extension of the land trust and co-oping do you do any co-oping with other groups well we do lots of cooperation with other groups but as far as uh stocking ponds at uh at battle point no that's not I, i'm assuming they do that in conjunction with the park district since that's park park owned property and uh i didn't even know they did that so that's yeah. great yeah. shout out to I'll get trout my, unlimited i'll get my fly rod out there and and uh see yeah if they've I can been get one. teaching some fly fishing out there too great. um bio d Shout out to them down in Linwood, Linwood Center. Yeah, yeah, well, in fact, Matt. Go see brought, Troy. Yeah, and uh, BioD, Matt, who is a uh, uh, proprietor there, he's a member of our board, too. So very committed to the land trust. There you go, Matt. You've been shouted out <laughs> twice now. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. On the podcast, tell people what you do. Um, tell me about what we're doing for birds on and around this island, there seems to be a plethora of species, you know, just hundreds of different birds, and it's it's beautiful. And I know I walk down to those wetlands in Blakely Harbor a lot. That's one of my favorite um, trails to walk. And the king fishermen are out there and the heron and, you know, you can see the eagles, the seagulls, the crows, the, the visitors from Canada in the way of geese. But there's just so much bird activity out there. And I know, what is it, the island school as well? They have, what do you call it? 
a bird viewing area. Like a bird blind? No, no. I think it starts with an A. Though. An av- aviary? Aviary? Yeah, there aviary. you go. Okay. There, we go. Every, there you go. Me and my poor vernacular. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just, you know. Yeah, jump well, in, what, jump what in are we doing? land what, trust. You know, what are we birds. doing for birds? Um, habitat. It's all about maintaining enough natural area that those species have places to feed, places places to nest, to breed, hang out, maybe get a little, you know, respite from, you know, activities of humans uh, to have enough space so that they can, you know, they can live healthy lives and do their bird thing. So um, absolutely the, um, the work that the land trust is done in conjunction with all the other partners and all the support we have on this. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, it, you know, the land trust is doing a lot of great work, but we wouldn't be doing that work without the support of all the different uh, organizations we partner with and the incredible community support we have. So that uh, habitat in the, the, it's all about the land and the water uh, when it comes to the other, other, creatures that we share this island with and i'll just put a shout out for the fact you mentioned blakely harbor well the land trust was involved in negotiating um getting the purchase and sale agreement um with the port blakely milk company back then of that and then um you know was purchased through support from the community but the land trust was front and center there helping negotiate that deal and making that happen and and today we are in the midst of a, a significant capital campaign called stand for the land let's to, just jump right into let's the just stand, jump right into stand, stand for, for land. the land i'm but, sure you've seen the posters and then the stickers around yeah, the island. but i but I, yeah, I do want to address your question about the birds because um you know actually all the the first three properties that we are in the process i say we acquired but we're in the process of acquiring these properties. We now own them, but we have uh, mortgages on all those properties. And we are blessed with property owners that are willing to work with us for seller-financed loans, but we've got to pay these these puppies off. And what's fabulous is um, actually these three different properties really span the the spectrum of different habitat and we can talk about birds we've got one of the properties is a forested um, parcel that's uh, right next to the gasm lake area so it's expanding that forest habitat that's really critical for a lot of those birds that love the the contiguous forest birds and other mammals uh, not birds and mammals um we're still looking for those elusive flying squirrels that should be in that in that area. Um, another property is um, stream, pond, lots of aquifer recharge, and boy, when you walk through there, the bird sound is just you know ever present. And then the third property is a um, beautiful wild estuary. You can't even believe you're still on Bainbridge Island when you paddle back in there. That has incredible habitat for those uh, birds that love the sh- the you know that um, intertidal and that shore shoreline environment. So yeah, so the birds are happier because of those acquisitions. I think. Before we get on some deep topics, let's go ahead and introduce uh, these three properties that you have. Um, you have a stand for the land campaign trying to raise five million prior to your 30th anniversary coming up. Um, you also have a challenge uh, grant match. Uh, let's. Well, where let, shall we start? Yeah, let's talk about. Well, let's start with the properties uh, specifically where they're located and what makes up these properties. Um, you guys have, like you said, gone forward with 
three properties and you yeah, want so far, to obtain mm-hmm. two more? Is that at the goal? least two more? Yeah, yeah. We're we're hoping um, and have a number of properties in in the queue, if you will. Um, but yeah, so the first three properties will start with the as I mentioned the and it's called the Jablanco Preserve, which is after the the name of the owner that we worked with. Um, and this is one of these examples of um, property owners we've been chatting with for. 25 years. And wow. this family, um, um, this is this parcel, the Jablanco parcel, it's about 14 acres. And it um, is it is you excuse me. Yeah. Have you been talking about this property because it's one of the few properties that are over 10 acres? Or is it a critical area that is important to preserve? Both. Both. It Bingo. is. Winner. It is. Yeah. You know, we we do uh, you know, larger parcels. It's uh, maybe perhaps it's a you know the best bang for our buck, if you will, in terms of um, preserving larger contiguous areas. And what's so special about this and important is that it is right next to Gasm Nature Preserve, and and part of that is the Peters Tree Farm that was purchased from the family. So it was the Peters Jablanco family that originally owned 110 acres. They sold about half of it. Um, working with the land trust and um, and and the city in terms of preserving that, and so we're uh, this is essentially another uh, another addition to that um, that we have just purchased. So um, that contiguousness of expanding um, the Gazam area that I think is now about 500 acres in size. And what's amazing about the greater what we call the greater Gazam area, there have been seven different land acquisition efforts over the years to create that greater Gasm nature preserve. And so that that kind of relentless, um, we just keep picking away. <laughs> Gasm's an incredible area. It is. Area. It really is. I yeah. think we should introduce bats, though, because mosquitoes are a little thick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, just well, I, think, I, I think we've seen, we've seen bats in the, we've seen bats in the area. We'll just, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep, Keep them going. Bigger effort. Push, push <laughs> the bad, bats. More bad. <laughs> so that's one property. Mm-hmm. Property. Tell me and everybody else that's listening about the Cougar Creek property. Cougar Creek. Ray, do you want to jump in on Cougar Creek, or do you want me to? Do you want me to? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Okay, I'll let I you will. go ahead. I You're will. on a roll, James. I'm on a roll. So. Okay, I'll keep She's going. She's butter. So yeah, so Cougar Creek, and so now this property, while not directly adjacent to any other preserved property. Um, Ray mentioned our conservation plan, and when one of the things we looked at when we were updating our conservation plan, um, we looked at land cover data, and we looked at contiguous forest cover. And this Cougar Creek Preserve is right in the midst of some contiguous forest cover that extends east from the Gasm area, and this property is between Old Mill Road and Blakely Harbor. It's about a little over 15 acres in size. And if you follow that forest cover, then down around to the south, you get into Islandwood. So this is what we look at when we talk about um, habitat and contiguous contiguousness. We also have private conservation easements that are very close to this new acquisition. So we've got the Gasm area and the forest cover that extends east of that. We come into um, a number of conservation easements on private property that sort of help preserve that contiguous nature of the forest cover. And then we have this great um, new acquisition between Blakely and Old Mill that helps helps 
preserve and connect that forest cover for the into the future. And you know, we look very hard at and what are our opportunities and perhaps in that area to now with that, this acquisition to expand from there. And we've already had um, 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 local landowners contact us and say, hey, we'd really like to maybe preserve part of our property or be willing to grant a trail easement through our property that would allow you to connect in. So there's a lot of um, excitement in that area and a, and a number of properties in that area that are still relatively undeveloped that um, provide opportunity for additional conservation. Um, Cougar Creek um, runs through the property as you might gather from the name and it's a beautiful uh, drainage and it's just got some unbelievably huge western red cedar trees in there that are um, um, to to quote one of our volunteers who's been all over the island some of the biggest western red cedars trees he's seen he's ever seen on the island um, there's a pond there so in terms of um, uh, bird wildlife habitat it's great uh, aquifer recharge lots of wetlands on the property uh, but also upland fringe forest areas that allow um, allow that buffering of those natural areas uh, and and the forest cover that provides that contiguousness that we we so value and that that the wildlife values. Ray Miller uh, Kirkman property is that what it's called? Uh, the Kirkman property, yeah. It's um, Kirkman Miller is. Um, it's about thir- Again, 13 acres yeah, in size, I think, right? Beautiful property, as Jane was saying, this estuary. In fact, we had a, a, a crew um, of um, one of our student crews out working on that land. And uh, our stewardship coordinator mentioned that uh, it was a great experience because as he was speaking of birds, as he was standing there, this eagle landed right behind him, you know, uh, sort of saying, okay, thanks for coming. And uh, it's great you're here to protect this land. So... Um, it's, it's one of our newly acquired properties. It's really, really beautiful. Um, it links up to some other areas that could be really important for conservation. So um, we're looking at those. So it's, 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 it's really exciting. And, uh, and it's, as I think, you know, these areas of estuary and shoreline are some of the most difficult to obtain. One, because there are few. And two, because of um, you know, the expense. So uh, we have to be very, as, as I said, we're trying to find those areas that fit very well within, within, our, uh, uh, within our plan, our conservation plan, so that uh, the, the lands that we do get uh, are, are sort of important contributions to the overall uh, conservation values here on the island. How much land have you guys have obtained in the 29 years? We have either actually obtained or been a part of the effort to obtain, we are just pushing 1,400 acres where we have either, you know, we've either negotiated the deal, purchased the, you know, purchased the property, fundraised, turned it over to parks, purchased the property, held onto it. But 1,400, we're pushing 1,400 acres with these new acquisitions. And, you know, and we've mentioned these three acquisitions, and I think it's really, uh, we're excited about those. And we've talked about maybe five um, many of us would hope we could go more. I mean, we know that uh, there's a commitment uh, by islanders to have the kind of habitats and, and conservation areas uh, that we use for, as I say, the, the solace, the, the beauty, the hiking, the... the Mindfulness, the, the meditation Yeah, the spots, birds, the whatever, the, whatever the people really feel. And it's, it's really exciting. So, you know, we have these three we've mentioned we just 
acquired another piece that adds 10 acres to the Grand Forest. Mm. And we haven't talked much about that yet, but that's a brand new acquisition. And so another 10 acres for the Grand Forest, that was um, a very nice offer that the landowner actually gave us a, a, a discounted price. That's something that uh, is possible, for example, to, to rather than donate the land right out, which is great if it could happen, a landowner may decide to, to sell for a cheaper price and, and take a, a benefit, tax benefit on the difference in the price, for example. That's an option. We also have required another um, uh, 19 acres in the northern part of the island through an agreement with a, a developer. Jefferson Home Builders uh, purchased uh, this land, which was about 25, 26 acres, is it? 20, about 27, 27 and a half yeah. acres was okay. the total acreage. I'm always not good at remembering those numbers. But um, he's going to build houses on nine acres mm-hmm. and then donate has donated the rest of that land to the land trust, which is very uh, important land for has a wetland and stream, um, important conservation values. So we're exploring a lot of different ways to, to bring in land for conservation, collaboration with developers, uh, with landowners. And also, as, as we were saying, we have, for example, um, the Stand for the Land campaign where we know we need to raise uh, $5 million to reach some of those goals that we have. I say some because our goals are much bigger. Um, Beautiful. And <laughs> we have to think big, right, because it's a great opportunity. How long does that campaign run? It's going to run till the end of um, next year, pretty much, or uh, what we'd like to do. And like, obviously, if we could do that beforehand because it's, our, as I said, our 30th anniversary, we would like to, um, to be able to uh, – have that money in there before the end of the year, uh, if possible. Um, and the matching funds. Well, the matching campaign? funds. We have a some very generous islanders have put up half a million dollars that they will match one to one, and we would like to raise that money by the end of the year, if we could, to get five hundred thousand. That will bring a million into our campaign. Um, and pushes for you know a good way along toward our goal of that five million, and I think it's really exciting. And I you know, and it's not. I think it's something that Islanders can get really excited about. Um, in fact, we had a um, a young student from Island School come into our office the other day and meet with us, and she wants to do a fundraiser in her class at her school to raise money to support the land trust. So it's not something that, you know, uh, it's just going to be done by a few people. It's an island-wide effort. It's um, people contributing what they can. Um, And it's all for the quality of life here on Bainbridge Island. So I think it's really important. It's a great opportunity. And I just wanted to chime in here, um, Ray, that, um, you know, we hear about challenges all the time, but this is, this is, this is a, a, a serious challenge. This is a challenge with very specific requirements. Um, if we don't raise 
$500,000 from um, all of our friends out there, we will not get the matching funds. Um, they'll match dollar for dollar, but uh, no more than what we are able to raise from, you know, from the from the public. And it has a very definitive timeline. Um, our goal is to try and uh, try and fulfill that challenge by the end of the year. But we we do have until the be the first quarter of next year to um, to fulfill that challenge. But if we don't reach that uh, deadline, um, that's it. We're done. Uh, or they're done. <laughs> so, so we're we're de- we're highly motivated, and that's great because um, it, it it's really uh, moving a lot of us to open our our my my own pocketbook, um, even to you know say hey we need to we need to take advantage of this great opportunity and this great challenge match to to yeah, basically double our donations. So it's 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 a it's a really wonderful thing that um, um, that uh, we have the, so much support and the the um, help from our community to, to kind of spur us all forward. All right. Let's get into some relationships here and the science of all this. Um, look, you mentioned the Grand Forest. Is that a land trust property or a parks department property? Well, the parks manages uh, um, the Grand Forest. In fact, this property we've been – it's been sort of a – Jane has been more involved in a lot of the negotiations regarding this, but it's, it's pretty much a, a lot of discussion between us, the land trust, the property owner, and the parks department in terms of easements and trail access and uh, those kinds of uh, aspects. So – but the, the Grand Forest was yeah. was not originally a school the, property. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, the Greater Grand Forest is uh, the Greater Grand Forest now. And you know, when we think Grand Forest, there's so many pieces. There's mm-hmm. East Grand Forest, West Grand Forest, Hilltop, but uh, now the Grand Forest, um, except for the ten acres we just purchased, is all owned by the Park District. Um, Hilltop, if you um, can kind of visualize is is a property that the land trust um, negotiated and purchased fundraised and that's what connects the east and west grand forest great property. and that great you know, property. It's, it's it's unbelievably beautiful and um, it, it's it's one of those high vistas that um, yeah that just kind of feeds the soul and uh, and that's a, a, a total example of this great partnership we have with the park district that and this is again one of those decade-long relationships that the land trust nurtured with the landowners and the family. Um, when Prue Trudgeon um, uh, passed away, her heirs, her children, knowing that the land trust had an interest, and they also wanting to see that land preserved, um, worked with us, talked with us, negotiated with us, and we were able to enter into a purchase and sale agreement with them. And, um, or I guess I should say an option agreement. And then once we had fundraised for the down payment, we were able to secure the purchase and sale agreement. And we fundraised away for several years and were um, finally able to pay off the property. And then um, in a couple different transactions, the different um, parcels were transferred to the park district. Um, The majority of the acreage is covered by one of our conservation easements so that um, it's owned by the park district, managed by the park district, but the land trust does uh, at least annually go out and walk the property to be sure that the terms of the conservation easement are being met, which basically keeps it in a natural state. What determines whether the park department, parks department maintains a property or you guys in that relationship? Are you guys into forest um, 
stewardship and maintaining these um, parks or, or these lands in a separate capacity or is it always jointly with either the parks or the city? How does that work? Yes, and, and this is something I think we're being um, uh, very thoughtful about as we go forward, recognizing that some properties make total sense for us to purchase, fundraise, and turn over to the park district with some conservation protections on it. Because the park district does a heck of a good job. I mean, they've got a, they've got a, a lot of land that they manage and take care of, and they do a pretty good job of that. I would say they do a very good job of that. And so properties, uh, for example, this um, 10 acres that Ray mentioned that we, it's been, <laughs> we've been working on uh, this 10 acres for four years. It's been a very complex uh, legal transaction, a lot of little twists and turns along the way. But we finally did um, um, execute the documents and the land trust now owns the 10 acres with, um, again, a, a mortgage to pay off. And once we pay off that mortgage and our, and it's we own it free and clear, we will transfer it to the park district because it makes perfect sense for the park district to own, manage that property because it's right smack next to the Grand Forest that they already own and manage. So that's an example of a property no-brainer. This makes total sense for the park districts to ultimately own the property because we are all about, we, we, we share the common goal of when we're talking about passive use parks, open space, natural areas, conservation, some trail access, you know, so that we all can enjoy it. Now, there are those properties, though, that we look at and we go, okay, this is a pretty sensitive parcel. Uh, for example, the property that we just purchased um, that's an, uh, an estuary. And while the land trust absolutely believes in public access and we want people to get out on our properties and see them and enjoy them, this is a property that we, well, frankly, we want a little more control over. So we have decided that this is a property we would um, continue to own ourselves. We will have public access, but we're going to have to take some time to do that um, sensitively and smartly so that we really maintain that critical um, estuarine habitat um, and are very thoughtful about how we um, um, uh, share that with the public, um, which we will and we believe very strongly in. But So that's maybe an example of a property we might choose to hold just so that we can um, Maybe put that habitat um, conservation maybe just maybe in the forefront while we are still also managing public access. Does that mean uh, when you hold it that it's maintained by all volunteer basis of, of work? Like let, let's say tree goes down or or something like that. Yeah, um, it, well, it will be. Um, you know, we are very fortunate that we have um, a number, a few staff members. But yes, we will. We absolutely will be utilizing volunteers to help maintain the property as well. But we have a we have a full time stewardship coordinator who is responsible for monitoring our conservation easements and then also helping us maintain and um, utilize our volunteers to help take care of the properties that that we do own and we we own just a few but um, we also we're very cognizant of the fact that we need to um, be sure we have the the tools and the volunteer um, heft if you will to, to to get out there and help us take care of properties and we do uh, we're legally required to maintain for example the conservation easements to make sure that the the land is managed 
for the purposes that uh, the easement was created. And we do a visit once a year, do a report, and that's part of our, our requirement as a land trust. Where the, this Bainbridge Island Land Trust is accredited by the Land Trust Alliance, so we follow through a accreditation scheme, so that um, you know we can show ourselves and our supporters that we are meeting high standards of criteria. And part of that is is doing that level of stewardship. The other thing, um, the properties, the, the conservation easements, the properties we own, each has a lead steward, a volunteer who's in charge, who works closely with our, our stewardship uh, lead to visit the land, monitor what's going on. Um, each of those pieces of property has a management plan, what has to get done, what needs to be done in terms of dealing with invasive species or, um, or any kind of other management trail issues or what have you. So um, it's, it's a pretty sophisticated uh, process. And... Um, but really dedicated to ensuring that the land is managed appropriately. And it is, again, staff support, but a lot of volunteer input into that process. All right, here's the big question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to form it that great, so I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> Critical ordinance, aquifers, what's your take? And where's the science come from? on your viewpoint of what you guys do. You guys are science-based um, stewards of this land. So it's kind of two-part question, or three-part. Just going to throw it out there. How did the critical ordinance come about, and how do you feel about it? What's your take on the aquifer situation and the recharge on Bainbridge Island right now? Let, let's just start with that. Let's just start with that. <laughs> and then you know, the science behind what you do. So critical ordinance. Um, and so you're speaking about the city's critical areas ordinance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, b- because I'm, I'm sure that you have sensitive properties as well. Absolutely. And would yeah. probably be pro take care of the sensitive properties, but it's kind of turned into a, f- a fiasco of property owners, city lawsuit, Mm-hmm. Um, some failed science in, in some aspects. Um, what's your take on it? Well, you know, I guess I, I will throw in that one of the things, and I've, I've lived on the island um, over 30 years, and one of the things that has always turned me on about the land trust, and I've been, you know, my volunteerism with the land trust goes way, way, way back um, before I became part of the staff. And one of the things I think is so great about the land trust is we're a nonprofit we're a private organization. We're supported by private, you know, dollars. Um, and I think it allows us to maybe stay a little bit above the political fray, if you will. And we really pride ourselves. And, you know, there's no question that the vast majority of our uh, members uh, would probably characterize themselves as environmentalists or at least environmentally sensitive. But we have a we have a we really pride ourselves in being open to everybody. I don't care what your political bent is. If you care about the land, you should be part of the land trust. And we really pride ourselves on 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 an open door and working with everybody. Um, as I said, as Ray mentioned, you know we we work with developers. We if a developer wants to work with us and is willing to have a meaningful 
conservation element to their development, we want to talk to you. Um, um, landowners that have very feel very strongly about their property rights, but you love your land and you want to preserve part of it, and you want part of that land to be preserved beyond your lifetime, come talk to us. I mean, we're, we're here for everybody. Yes, obviously we think that some environmental regulation is, is a good idea because it's good for the community on a whole lot of levels. Um, I personally like to see regulation that is, um, that is um, user-friendly, that, is, um, that uses carrots, not sticks, but that's, I, I shouldn't even, that's my person, I'm not, that's, I'm not speaking for the land trust, that's my personal, my personal view. But um, I do feel uh, it's what drew, drew me to the land trust at the, at the beginning is their use of the conservation easement tool, which is all about a private property owner making their own private decision about what they want to do on their property. And I, I, I think that's a great thing about the land trust um, uh, concept. Ray, got any comments on the critical ordinance? I don't think I have too much to add other than, um, you know, one of the things that we – and we recognize there are some critical properties for um, for the points that you were making earlier, I think, in terms of water flow and, and, and stream flow. And we look as part of our, our conservation plan to see how we can either um, acquire lands like that or have conservation easements so that those lands can be protected. Um, and as I say, the land trust is not a... Um, an anti-development type organization. It does look for ways to ensure that there's a balance of, of development. Um, so um, I, I think that you know development of regulations is always fraught, uh, and it's always going to it's always it con- uh, creates some conflict. And what we're trying to do is figure out ways that we can come up with good plans for land management that sort of minimize those conflicts. Yeah, it's kind of difficult in my viewpoint. Um, which I rarely have one <laughs> is a personal a person has a piece of property and now they're under this ordinance that they cannot build on that land. Like let's say somebody buys a, a nice parcel of fifteen acres and wants to build their dream home there, but they're a good steward of the ecosystem and the forestry, and they're not allowed to develop under this critical ordinance right now, and then. I see city-owned property that isn't taken good care of with stewardship, you know, um, the pulling of of trees and taking care of the forest and allowing things to grow. And then Strawberry Hill, you know, there's a small forest there um, at the front too, and that doesn't look healthy. And I believe that's a parks department um, piece of property, if not city. So it's tough to see the city fail in managing their own ecosystems and forests and land on one point and then deny somebody that is trying to take care of their land but still wants to live within that land that they purchased. Um, it's difficult to see that type of person, you know, and I'm not mentioning the the clear cutter that's developing a, mm-hmm. a million houses or something like that. I'm, I'm talking about the person that buys this land and wants wants to be a steward for life on that land, but they need a place to live, but they can only go so much off the the road, and they can only build a small portion right now. Do you guys see this changing or a, or a resolve? 
down the pipe soon? One of the problems, I guess, for me, I don't know any particular cases of what, you know, I can, my, my first thought is that you mentioned something of 15 acres that uh, it, would, it seems, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I mean, I just don't know. Okay. I'm honestly unaware of any particular case. So uh, where, where that's uh, an issue. So it's, it's really hard to comment. Um, and uh, where no development at all could take place, it would seem, uh, it would have to be quite a, a piece of property of that size where you would have no development at all. So, um, but again, I'm, I don't, right now it's all hypothetical for me because I have, I don't, I don't know of any particular case. Yeah. I your, mean, your science when talking about obtaining land, how does that process work? Um, is there a scientist on staff? Are we reaching out? Are we consulting? Or is there a specialist within the staff that that falls under? Where does the land trust science come from well we have uh staff with uh with those capabilities and uh to carry those level of analyses so our staff developed a uh, conservation plan in consultation with others so there's always input from from others too who are specialists we we live on an island with a lot of expertise in terms uh, of science and who can have input so um we we don't we don't work in a vacuum yeah, and I'll just kind of chime in on that. Um, as Ray said, we developed our conservation plan, and it was very much um, pulling from a, a, a lot of different resources. And one of the uh, we just recently updated that plan, and one way that we kind of cast the net a little further and and pulled in some other. Um, um, talents, if you will, is that um, one of our staff members um, took a advanced uh, GIS, which is uh, Geographic, Geographic Information System, Information System um, class through the UW. And her team of, there were, I think, six of them that worked on a project together that was, that helped uh, elevate the uh, the science and the 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 facts and the land cover data. I, I mentioned the contiguous forest. You know, they pulled in the data into this GIS system to uh, give us this mapping tool that allows us now, as we look at a possible property, that okay, it lands here within this um, within this forest cover. And they also helped develop. It's not just forest cover. There's all kinds of criteria to look at. Um, and we'll actually be going out to the public to try and get some some input because we have developed what's for our assessment of properties, what's called a conservation value index, a CVI. And it kind of puts all these different layers of the mapping system over one another and gives um, um, uh, points to those different layers. So say there's great aquifer recharge because of the soil types, and it's part of that contiguous forest cover. And there's a salmon-bearing stream, and uh, oh, there's an eagle's nest, and um, you know what have you, layer upon layer, and it develops a, a basically a point system or a rating for that property. And so all that factual information, um, but, you know, we still will look at that with an objective eye as well, or, oh, maybe an, a, uh, you know, with a heart as well to say, okay, we've got this value on a property, but we also need to look at the intangibles as well. But um, so I'm kind of rambling on here, but the, uh, utilizing all those different tools to, you know, to help us make uh, wiser decisions and how we spend our limited, just like 
the city and everybody else, we've got limited resources. We can only do so much. How do we focus our, our limited resources for the best conservation value there is? And that's how you qualify it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have an aquifer recharge scientist type on staff? Or we do don't. you guys have a, a public opinion on the aquifer situation on the island right now? And we don't have a specific, you know, we don't have a hydrogeologist on staff whose who's specific focus is, is aquifers and aquifer recharge. But again, one of those layers in our system is, is about soil type and its infiltration um, capacity. Um, but aquifers, aquifer recharge, what we do know is, and which you brought up near the beginning of this talk, uh, water. Uh, water is a heck of a valuable resource. We don't think how value. we really don't give water enough uh, credit until we don't have it. And as we noticed from the last few months of drought, and I don't know about you, but when I heard the rain the other night, I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, it feels good, just the air quality it, No kidding, no kidding. And so, you know, we're all acutely aware that water is one of our most precious resources. And um, so anything we can do as a part of our conservation strategy to help preserve those lands that benefit aquifer recharge that's a plus for the that's a plus for the whole community and when we talk about you know we we talk about how do you know how do you quantify a beautiful piece of property how do you quantify a wetland from a uh, economic value standpoint and we're just now i think beginning to um and i we meaning kind of globally understanding the economic value that goes with conserved lands um, you know, we can talk about, okay, the value of that land, if you put a home on it and you can sell it for, you know, X hundred thousand dollars on the market. But what value does that land have if it's left undis- unbuilt upon? Um, and there is huge economic value to lands that absorb stormwater and prevent flooding and blowing out of a culvert that costs hundreds of thousand dollars to repair. Um land that allows water to recharge our aquifers that prevents the neighbor from having to redrill his well to 200 feet when his 50-foot well has gone dry. Things like that that are, um, you know, they're difficult to quantify. Uh, I think we're getting a little more um, aware of the economic value. And we, the term is used, you know, the um, ecological services, you know, this value associated with what undeveloped land actually can do for us. And, and let's not even talk about the health benefits to all of us. And Well, well we should, because mm-hmm. it, it's all what you perceive value is. Yes. You know, my health benefit is outweighs economics night and day. Every all, time. all it takes is a, an illness or an injury, and we all go, yeah, that yeah. Uh, that health benefit is huge. And Yeah, health insurance, too. Anyway, that's another well, that's subject. That's a whole other subject. I can't go there. <laughs> Land and water. Um, something that drives me nuts is Creosote Park. Um, it's been on, what, a 30-year cleanup, and it's not clean. And everybody seems to enjoy Pritchard Park and... The ugly stepsister to the corner there is creosote. And how do you see that shaping up? What's the solution for that? I I enjoy walking down there, but I'm kind of devastated with the tide pools of seeing just constantly crabs just wash up around there, just dead, all kinds of, you know, just dead sea life. And 
it used to be around where you'd walk the beaches around here and you could pick up oysters and you could clam and seems like our beaches you can't clam anywhere on Bainbridge Island you know without risking some type of toxicity and those oyster beds are not there anymore and I, now I see things washing up constantly um, like we talked about earlier I, I walk the trails and the beaches every day and I see that place as a great piece of property you know whether it, whether it be city property a uh, parks department you know I, I envision a big sand volleyball soccer tournament out there on that that area right on top just put in the sand we make a new now I found out from Doug Schultz um, last interview was that that seawall is all rusting out and that they have to replace that too this is a long question what's the answer to creosote I don't think we have the answer. To, uh, there's a whole lot of experts that are working on that. Um, it's a super. Yeah, for it's thirty a, years. It's, it's a super fun site. It, you know. What does it, that mean? What does super fun mean? That- it is a highly. You know, it has it has some real serious contamination issues that you know. There's been a lot of work done, and I am no expert on this whatsoever. But I know there's there has been a lot of work done, and frankly, the technology is trying to evolve to figure out how to how to clean it up and it's yeah it's and we have the ferry oof. you know the fuel going in that turnaround there and then we had the alley cove um sewage leakage i just feel like there's a huge troubling water parcel slash land issue right there where people come and go on a daily basis and don't really give it much thought and i'd like people to give it more thought because that is a beautiful, beautiful area, and I see the devastation of the sea life that's going on there, and I want to empower people to find solutions to that. And mm-hmm. yeah, we couldn't agree more. Ray, what you got for me? Tell well, me the me solution. Again, I don't have the any answers. Uh, as you say, 30 years of, um, of people trying to solve a problem uh, that people created, um, and, and I think that's one of the... I think the points that fit into that original question that you asked about some of ecosystems is that it's a lot less expensive to make better decisions to yeah. prevent things. Go to the gym to, to try to remediate. Insurance. When when we get into remediation, which is trying to solve the problems that we've created, it costs a lot more money. And I think that we, if we can do smart investments that take into account the, the fact that there could be pollution, that we would, um, will, will create more runoff or flooding or whatever those decisions are. If we could really think about uh, and really plan better and realize that, well, there, there may be some cost private, but the public benefit is really high. Oftentimes we see that the private benefit is high and the public cost is much higher. And so there has to be some kind of balance there, and I think that's sort of what we're looking for. Um, we're we're paying for the mistakes that were were made many years ago, and um, and solutions are expensive, and so we 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 haven't figured them out yet. So I'm hoping that as we as we move forward, we 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 do more prevention. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's I guess that's what I have for you. Amen, brother. I, I'm with you. Um, what else we got going on? Oh, I had a question. How much of your land, like percentage, 
an arm or a leg does Parks Department maintain for the land trust? 50%, 75 Well, and, and I would say, you know, and I, I guess I would just clarify that question that the, the, um, the land that the park district manages, they own. Um, you know, they, they don't, uh, they don't, I'm going to be sure I'm not speaking, um, they don't manage any property that the land trust still owns. You know, we, we have purchased property and we have, you know, um, I, what I, I love the Hilltop, you know, we raised $3 million, we purchased Hilltop and we sold it to the park district for $10. <laughs> that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal for the public. Um, and so, um, well, let's, let's see if we can't, uh, see if I can't do the math in my head. I'm sorry, I don't have that number, but like if, if we think about the 1400 acres that the land trust has helped to acquire, how much of that is and, still and the under majority the majority of that land has been turned over to the park district or the park district you know owned to begin with and they own and manage it so the the majority of that um, you know we just with these new land acquisitions I'm afraid I don't have the number of acres that we hold and own right in the uh, forefront of yeah, my uh, brain. But you know, don't maybe, need to fact check. Maybe if you say majority, maybe it's majority. Yeah, that, yeah, the majority of the parks you know owns and manages those, and um, and and then the the few parcels um, that we own and manage, um, you know, it's it's a it's a small percentage of that fourteen hundred. Now, do you own land that the city manages? No, in any capacity. No. Um, no. And then you were talking about private ownership easements. Exactly. Yeah. So the yeah, the the um, that's um, um, I, guess, I would say a significant percentage of the the uh, lands within that. Uh, um, well, I see all the private conservation easement lands are still owned by the private individuals mm-hmm. or those they have sold the property to, and we merely monitor the the conservation easement. Here's yeah. a crazy question: Do you guys? Are you guys behind the Queen of Scotch Broom? Isn't there in, a, in, the, in the Scotch Broom Parade? Oh, yeah. we were there. We we we, <laughs> Is that your, out, your thing? we poured out of the office and we watched the uh, the Scotch Broom Parade. Of course, it's a it's a fun community. Is that your thing though? Is that our thing? That is not our thing. You know, that is, I think it is, it is a spontaneous event. And um, I, th- I think the Chamber of Commerce um, okay. has a, a, a I, th- I saw a few classic cars and a, a few of the chamber folks. So, yeah, but no, we, we, uh, we love to see. And in fact, it was terrific. A couple of the folks marching in the Scotch Broom Parade, they had Scotch Broom, but it was pulled out by the roots. So we, that's what we like to see. That's see. not easy either. No, it's not. I grew yeah. up on a farm and it started invading our pasture. And oh, yeah. It's, it's tenacious. That, that was part of my chores was to dig up that scotch broom and then dry it out and burn it. And it wouldn't burn. And you could burn it and it would still grow back. And, you know, it was all, all along the freeway for um, structure because the roots are so, you know, in there to keep the, keep the um, shoulders on the freeway. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, it turns into those black pea pods, and then those open up and go to dust, and then the asthma attack hits. <laughs> so I'm really a yeah, big we're, fan. We're working hard to get rid of that stuff. So the Land Trust here, we have a need for people to give and support it. Um, we need volunteers to be good stewards of the land around here and join in on the work parties, such as the Wednesday work party that we mentioned and the invasive 
um, species cleanup. You guys just got done with a beach cleanup, correct? Uh, well, we, you know, um, I think that was sustainable. Bainbridge was focusing on that, but we certainly oh, shout had, out to Diane. Yeah, yeah, thank She's you, thank incredible. you. We we certainly um, had folks from our um, staff and board that were participating in that. Let me throw out one other little um, um, chunk uh, shout out that. Um, Earlier this spring, and actually the last uh, two or three Aprils, we've the month of April, which of course includes Earth Day, has been our invasive weed removal month, and we've partnered with a number of different organizations, and uh, thanks to Bainbridge Disposal, we had... Um, Free weed, invasive weed disposal yeah. on sun, every Gotta Sunday. Watch what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> free invasive weed disposal um, every Sunday back then. Well, that was so successful, and we had such great partnership participation, um, including a nice grant from the Bainbridge Community Foundation, that we have two Sundays in the last two Sundays of September will also be free for your invasive weed disposal at the transfer station. So please take advantage of that. And if you pull up those weeds, then you can come to our native plant sale in early October and get some native plants to put in those areas you've just where you've just removed your weeds. So and there that, you go. That's over at Ace Hardware usually? Or? No, it's actually at the, um, uh, the church at the corner of Madison and the highway. By the fire station. I'm yeah. lost. You got <laughs> it. <laughs> be directions linked on the webpage. <laughs> yes, yeah. So check out check out the Land Trust webpage for at the, the stoplight Madison three hundred and three hundred five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, the one with the car show. The car show. Exactly. Not with the, yeah, we, the car not with show the church. horrific death. On the, <laughs> no, on no, church. no. The car show. Okay. Car show. Now church. I know. You got it. Um. Yeah. Just out the door here. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. You got. Yeah. Um couple more things before we depart. How can someone practice good stewardship to the land on an everyday basis? Like if I want to excite my kid about being a steward for life, what are some of the things I can do to, besides just going on a, on a walk, um, what are some habits I could maybe introduce? Well, you know, I, you, you, I, I think we can't just say, oh, just go out on a walk. I think getting out in nature and learning about it is absolutely the best way to instill not just love of the land, but, well, if you love something, typically that means you want to take care of it. And so I, I guess I, I can't emphasize that enough. I think get out there and, and be part of it and, and learn, learn about the different then learn about the native plants and learn about the invasive weeds that, yeah, well, you see one of those, you know, just pull it up. Um, yeah, and I think, I think, you know, loving or sort of being a steward, it helps to understand how things work. You talked, you asked questions about ecosystems. Well, how does the ecosystem work on Bainbridge Island? There are lots of programs for young people. For uh, Island Wood, run some. Other groups uh, have those opportunities for for young people to understand the plants and how how the system works, how nutrients are recycled, and the importance of, of, of maintaining certain uh, tree species or other species and what birds need or what they like and what animals need. And I think as young people, or even not even young people, even 
you know, old people, seventy-year-old young people, um, could go out and learn more about habitats and and ecosystems, and would appreciate more where they live and how to how to how to really manage that and 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 live within it. And I think that's really important. So I think um, al- allowing people just to have that understanding, I think, is really, really important. And that would be a huge step toward being able to be a good steward. And the land trust um, people, they offer walks. Thank right? you. I was just going to and say. And then uh, tours of land trust property, We correct? periodically have. Um, and uh, who's, who's the trailblazer? The guy that knows every trail on the island. I believe there's somebody in your oh, organization. There, well, there's a there's a there's a number of them. <laughs> um, there's a number of them. In fact, um, the the little publication called Walks on Bainbridge is um, I think it's in its second printing, and uh, and I think um, um, they'll be working on the 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 third publicate the third printing of it, um, which is an, a nice resource, and and we've got them in our office, and they're at Eagle Harbor Books and other places for uh, for purchase, and um, but also you kind of come back to yeah we. We do periodic, um, we call walks and talks, where we not only do you know guided walks, but also um, guided walks that perhaps um, uh, talk about the the flora and the fauna, and um, in different topics. Um, I know one of our um, one of our lead tour givers on the we're doing tours on the new properties we're acquiring, and one of them is a geologist, and he has all kinds of great things to share about um, the, the soils on the Jablanco property and, and their um, uh, their effect on aquifer recharge and, and, and erosion uh, features and that type of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunities on our on our uh, property tours, um, and then we do do some specific um, walks that, that are very focused on, say, native plants and that type of thing. So yeah, yeah we didn't stay really tuned. get into... Uh soil and till and and sand and stuff like that and those type of ecosystems on on the island. I know there's a University of Washington professor that's written a few books on topsoil and and till and he's coming out with a movie that's um, very stunning on agriculture and how these massive farms are just destroying the dirt and what a small homesteader can do with organic um, planting and you know no till and mm-hmm. stuff like that and less machinery and mm-hmm. stuff like that so that's a fascinating topic to me do you have anything that you would like to talk about with the the till and the soil and and why that's important to ecosystems well you know there's um, you know, the Washington uh, state extension does um, uh, training for master gardeners which has a lot of focus on that kind of uh, work um, at the at the land trust we don't know how um, this relationship ultimately will will develop in terms of the kind of work we do together. But we do have uh, we have what MOU I think with the uh, Friends of the Farms. Um, uh, tell me that acronym. Uh, uh, member, me, member memorandum of understanding. Sorry about that. I get into all this jargon sometimes. I apologize. Uh, so we have a memorandum of understanding with uh, Friends of the Farm to see how we might be able to work together in terms of uh, pr- protection and preservation of farmland. And, and, and most of that land is managed uh, for organic production here on Bainbridge, and I think that's, that's really great. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it's been 
demonstrated and proven that if you manage that your land organically um, and it proves the water holding uh, potential of that land, it's mm-hmm. much better in terms of you need less water and you have more nutrients and you have uh, better tasting produce. So uh, it's a good thing. And uh, I think all those kinds of efforts should be applauded and we should support those. Yeah. Hashtag vermiculture. <laughs> That's right. Go get yourself a worm farm. Get your worms. That's the easy way to save that uh, money and uh, put that soil right back into where you're planting the food. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that with my um, son very much. Anything else you want to shout out before we head out of here? Um, no, I just want to thank you for giving us a chance to talk about the land trust. Um, I think um, you know there's a lot of support, as I mentioned, uh, on the island. I, I mean, I uh, you know. From years ago, even when there was a, a bond levy and uh, uh, people approved $8 million to help acquire land and to uh, you know, improve open space, I think it demonstrates a strong commitment. And um, I think if we think about the fact that we're only seven miles from a major city and we have so much green space, uh, we have so many opportunities to enjoy nature without having to go very far. I think we're all very lucky, and I and I think that um, I hope that we find people who are willing, who agree with that, and willing to help us in this process of uh, making uh, Bainbridge even greener in that sense. And uh, uh, so, I thank you for the opportunity to talk today. My pleasure, Ray. It's a pleasure making your acquaintance. Nice I look to meet you. To seeing you in the community. Yeah, Ch- Tim. Jane, thank you very much. We pleasure. really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just kind of echo what uh, what Ray said, and and recognizing that um, you know this this current um, effort with our Stand for the Land campaign is about is recognizing the uh, our proximity to Seattle and that pressure, that development pressure that's happening, and trying to balance our conservation efforts um, and with that development pressure and and uh, and maintain the beauty of the island and the the quality of life here so we thank thank you and everybody who's helping us get the word out well thank you it's a it's a place to preserve for sure you've been listening to the bystander be kind and go out and eat some pizza our podcast is brought to you by that's the sum pizza Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crusts that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's the Sun Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292, order online at thatsthesum.com, or download That's the Sun Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City.